I'm Major Robert Rose, and welcome to Thinking Inside the Box, the podcast of Operations Group at the National Training Center, Fort Irwin, California. Thinking Inside the Box brings you best practices from the Army's experts in combined arms operations. Today, I'm pleased to have on Lieutenant Colonel Brian Burbank, who leads our GHOST team, to discuss how we are replicating the multi-domain battlefield at the National Training Center. The National Training Center is constantly evolving with our operational environment. It was a proven ground for air-land battle in the 1980s, and our training here has adapted throughout the decades. In the 2000s, NTC replicated Iraqi towns and Afghan mountains. Now, we challenge units to fight large-scale combat operations in a multi-domain fight that incorporates land, air, space, and cyberspace. Unfortunately, the Mojave Desert does not quite have the water for the maritime domain. We also made unit thinking the physical, information, and human dimensions. Lieutenant Colonel Burbank's ghost team leads the effort in preparing us to win in the multi-domain fight. He's a diverse pass, enlisting as a military policeman, commissioning as a Black Hawk pilot, and then spent the last decade as an information operations officer. He's a lot of lessons to offer us. One of the first lessons is what you call someone from Maine. Is it truly a maniac, sir? It is, yeah. Uh, we're very proud uh... To call ourselves maniacs up, up, up in Maine. This is a good fact about Maine, and um, I might have to live there myself to become a maniac. Uh, but let's introduce our audience to Ghost Team, uh, the newest team at the National Training Center. What does Ghost Team provide for the training of rotational units? Yeah, th- thanks, Robert. I appreciate it. So, uh, again, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Burbank, uh, I lead Ghost Team. Uh, we stood up Ghost Team in September of 2020. Uh, in recognition that multi-domain operations was going to be a thing, and the National Training Center uh, was leaning ahead uh, with the formation of a team to get after it. Uh, to, to note, uh, we are the only CTC that has consolidated our information-related ca- capabilities to support multi-domain operations. I think we've seen great benefit out of that. My OCTs uh, from Ghost Team uh, are a combination of uh, cyber electromagnetic activities, um, which is really EW uh, with some cyber flavor to it, base operations, psychological operations, civil affairs, and public affairs. Of note for psychological operations and civil affairs, we work with the United States Army Civil Affairs and Psychological Operations Command, USA KPOC, which is a two-star headquarters in the Army Reserves. And many of my OCTs on Ghost Team that support the training for them are actually Army Reservists uh, on active duty orders. So if you are Army Reservists, uh, Ghost Team is hiring. Good opportunity for a shout out here. And yeah, it's a, it's a very broad portfolio that Ghost Team has. And you know, with this, how does it link in with, uh, with kind of the modern operational environment? We look at the future of uh, what multi-domain operations uh, is like. Uh, commercial satellite imagery is readily available to anyone with a wallet deep enough. And to be perfectly honest, it is changing the game. Just information has been a game changer. You know, a civilian with a with a cell phone can now serve as a non-standard sensor for the military targeting apparatus and provide that information in near real time and help, you know, identify adversary formations or friendly uh, formations as we look at our own vulnerabilities, as we uh, might have long supply chains, or as we're moving into a new town, you know, we got to be cognizant of what publicly available information is out there in terms of civilians taking pictures of our vehicles as we move through areas. 
uh, and posting those in social media, that can give our adversaries a very clear understanding of what the forces they're going to have to uh, be against. And right now in the National Training Center, we're trying to put an emphasis on the information dimension and making the narrative fight matter. Are there lessons for units here? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. One is uh, one of the imperatives out of uh, FM3O is accounting for being under constant observation. And I think we, with the emergence of smartphones, we cannot discount, you know, that is a vulnerability to U.S. forces. I mean, you got commercial satellite imagery that's available to anyone with uh, enough money. Quadcopters, so aerial ISR, is now significantly shifted. So instead of spending millions of dollars on on systems, you can spend a couple hundred dollars uh, and have aerial ISR capabilities. And then one one thing that's near and dear to my heart is when you download an app, you are often giving away the rights uh, to your position locations and many other indicators. Uh, that can be quickly aggregated through commercial commercial means. Advertisers are looking to sell you things, and those same technologies can be leveraged against uh, our soldiers. And those breadcrumbs that those soldiers will leave, you know, when they're using a navigation app, can often outline exactly when you're leaving your home station and moving en route overseas. And when you talk to your, your friends and family while you're overseas, you are illuminating yourself to potentially to our adversaries. It's a risk that is underappreciated uh, by our current forces. Yeah, and there's so much either standard or non-standard ISR that, you know, that surveillance and reconnaissance efforts that, that can be conducted against us, where it's no longer the traditional means of uh, how militaries uh, collect upon each other. There's so many new and novel methods of collection that, frankly, we have not had to deal with yet. I think there's a, a great lesson for, for units that are preparing to come to the National Train Center because Black Horse is going to try to collect on them through traditional means, through ground reconnaissance, but also through air surveillance with uh, UAS, through digital means, through various sedient means, uh, detecting their emissions. So there's a lot of different ways now that units are being surveilled. So this brings us to FM3-0 uh, operations, which is Army's capstone document on how we're going to fight in the multi-domain environment. One of the imperatives in there is this being under constant surveillance and units having to really take that to heart and have to deal with it. So how does GHOST help units train for that environment when they come to NTC and meet the requirements of FM3-0? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So uh, one thing that units are going to have to realize is there will be live electronic warfare effects against them to really replicate the uh, a contested electromagnetic spectrum in that denied, degraded, and disrupted space operating environment. So units, when they come here, they can expect that their primary alternate contingency and emergency uh, communications framework that they, they come here with, they're going to have holes in their swing when it comes to how they talk because Black Horse will actively jam them and they will not be able to, to talk. And that's something that is currently a gap at home station where units are unable to effectively replicate that while they're at home because uh, it's hard in a, in a congested electromagnetic spectrum uh, when you're in the middle of an urban area. And not mentioned is uh, GPS. Like, how often do you just leverage your Google Maps? You'll follow it to the end of the world, uh, even though it might take you straight into a lake or a ravine. They've got to be able to get back analog and, and 
you know, rely on their map and, and a compass uh, because we cannot always rely that GPS is going to be there for us. Um, we also replicate a synthetic internet and social media environment through our ION uh, network, the information operations network, which is uh, on a closed cellular network here. So Facebook and Twitter is replicated. We've uh, started posting battle damage assessment photos of, you know, targets that would be both in the close fight and then in, in the deep fight. Some of those high-priority targets that might be further back, if they kill it in the constructive sim, we'll replicate that in uh, in Ion and give them credit for it uh, and allow them to, to see that. We have media on the battlefield uh, as well, both using print, video, and they're posting on social media. That often trips up units coming here because they're just not used to interacting with the media. However, you know, you go anywhere in the world, if we're going to be in large-scale combat operations, that's going to be the number one headline uh, in the media. So our soldiers need to at least have the awareness and the wherewithal to deal with the media, to convey appropriate talking points, because ultimately the media will find a story. And if your comments are no, no comment, then that will become the story. So you just got to find a way to, to interact with the media in a productive way, even if you can't tell them operational information, in a way that is uh, you're both going to uh, come away uh, in a good place. And finally, civilian role players. This is a, this is a challenge that soldiers will face on, on large-scale combat operations. If we go back to one of the most recent uh, examples, you know, let's go to World War II. You know, where our soldiers were sweeping across France and Germany, where there were millions of civilians that were still populated in all those towns, you know, sheltered in, in basements. You can't just shoot everything that moves and assume that you can level a town in large-scale combat er operations. You still have to account for that civilian population. And we maintain uh, both regular civilians, the provincial uh, government leadership, as well as the U.S. country team. Um, we have people with real-life experience um, and can share that experience with the, with the rotational training units when they come through. And I think that that's a great overview of uh, a lot of the challenges that units will face with the uh, operational environment at the National Training Center. It's really trying to replicate what they might face in, um, in a modern fight. And, you know, just kind of like going through, um, you know, what you said, just kind of back to front. Uh, I mean, units still need to understand, you know, remember the lessons of counterinsurgency, those hard learned lessons, because we still have that civilians on the battlefield. And that ties more than ever into this narrative fight. Really, in the environment here, it's they're friendly civilians for the most part. Um, and just how to deal with them, how to deal with um, refugees um, moving on the battlefield. Like those are still, you know, you're, you're going to fight more than ever in in areas with human terrain. And, and units can't forget that as, you know, and the importance of that. And then with the uh, with the information, as units need to understand, yeah, we're they're going to be overwhelmed with uh, with information, and and we're trying to uh, to replicate that here uh, through ION and these other other means. And finally, yeah, with the uh, with how the, the opposing forces disrupts units' uh, pace plan, so that's their primary alternate contingency and emergency communication methods. And you know, units just need to think through that. I mean, it's hard enough often to maintain your pace plan without that disruption, and how they're doing that across. Across four nets, across command, ONI, fires, and ANL nets. And it's one thing to say that, oh yeah, yeah, I mean our contingencies, HF, that's high frequency. Unless you've actually practiced that at home station with those systems, 
you know, you'll come here and even without that disruption, just units need to be prepared to actually use what they say is their standard operating procedures for their pace plan. Anyway, so that's how they're being disrupted here. But units also then have an opportunity to use various means to take advantage of convergence and disrupt the enemy's operations and take advantage of, of what we can do to them and those vulnerabilities. So, Sir, can you talk a bit about how units play a role in convergence in NTC and those windows of convergence? Yeah, absolutely. And convergence has been that hot topic uh, word that has been thrown around. In my opinion, uh, if we're doing truly multi-domain convergence, uh, we've got to account for space and cyber. Uh, if we're only accounting for, you know, traditional maneuver forces, artillery, and close air support, we're just combining arms. We're not truly uh, achieving convergence or, or or doing the MDO fight. Uh, so the way I see this is, um, and what's, what's outlined in FM3O is that um, brigade combat teams, when they come here, they don't create convergence for themselves. They're the recipients of convergence from their higher echelon, whether it's the division or more likely the core. And it's really a, an, a fight between the deep fight and the close fight for that uh, for the division or the core, because they have responsibilities for both. They have they have to shape deep uh, and prevent that second wave to come in. But the brigade combat teams they're in the they're in the close fight. And the divisions still need to support that close fight. Uh, we talk about convergence windows, and it's really, uh, we think these are, are temporary periods of time to allow that brigade combat team to do that voodoo that they do so well, which is really to get after uh, uh, and, and, you know, put steel on target and boots on ground and, and, and get after it. But in order for convergence to truly happen, you know, yeah, there's some, some stuff like, uh, you know, that brigade combat team might become a priorities of fire for long range precision fires, or they'll get some more close air support, or they'll get some more ISR. But I think that again, that's just combining arms to get after true MDO convergence. It's you got to account for space and cyber. And there's a, some that are uh, arguing that space and cyber it's so intangible. It's echelons above brigade. No one really understands exactly what they do. But they're building tactical formations now, uh, like the multi-domain task force, uh, which has both uh, cyber electromagnetic activities, uh, EW and cyber in there, as well as space capabilities. Uh, they they just stood up the third multi-domain task force. They exist in the theaters today. And then the 11th Cyber Warfare Battalion was uh, stood up a few years ago. They have expeditionary uh, SEMA teams that can go out and, and deliver effects. So there's tactical formations being created right now to help the Army of 2030 get after the, the large-scale combat operations. There are certainly tactical cyber and electronic warfare effects and, and certain space effects that can be delivered against our adversaries to truly a- achieve convergence. Yeah, and transitioning from some of those more futuristic effects to one of the uh, the oldest effects in military operations, let's talk a bit about deception, which I know is a bit uh, dear to uh, you and Ghost's history. There's a bit of a history in, in deception with uh, with where Ghost came from. So, sir, we could talk a bit about Ghost's emblem and its history and also how uh, how deception now plays a role on at the National Training Center. Yeah, absolutely. So we draw our, our heritage from uh, Patton's Ghost Army, the 23rd Headquarters Special Troops, which in World War II uh, was assigned to 
to Patton uh, through Europe. They had inflatable tanks. They had loudspeakers with recordings of of uh, large tank formations moving through that they would play at night. They would send in. They would essentially act as actors and go into a town with various patches on and. and you know, go to local cafes or areas where they knew that German sympathizers would be and just speak loudly about what's going on and how well supplied they were and, and how, you know, how many uh, how many soldiers they had in, in the area of operations. Uh, that small unit was covering down on a division's battle space and was successfully keeping uh, the Germans at bay because they truly believed that they were outmatched. Um, and so it provides a, a conservation of force. Uh, it's a it's a force and force enabler for these tactical formations that employ deception. So I, I really got to go back to uh, Barton Whaley's uh, one of the most well known uh, historians who talks about deception. And in one of his books, uh, Stratagem, Deception and Surprise in War, I think the most powerful case study he did is he went through 122 battles. And he uh, created a little chart on whether or not during these battles, did they have surprise or did they have deception or did they have both or none? And they translated that to casualty rates. So there was no surprise, no deception. Uh, the casualty rates were for every one that we lost, we killed or wounded 1.1 of theirs. That's that's slugging it through. But the beauty is if you combine surprise and deception for every one we lost, we killed or wounded 6.3 of theirs. That's a powerful number. That is truly going to save lives on the battlefield, conserve combat power, and really truly cause our enemy to, to commit at the wrong place at the wrong time and present them with those multiple dilemmas that we always talk about. That will save more American lives. The challenge is, you know, outside of some of the big... Uh, Big deception operations like uh, during the Gulf War, the Big Left Hook, where they drove at night and comes blackout and hit, you know, the Iraqi units that were less prepared, essentially exposed their flanks and forced them to withdraw to great success and very low casualty rates. Those are great examples of how you do it at large scale, how we do it at the more tactical level, at the brigade, at the battalion level, I think is kind of a lost art that uh, that the army needs to uh, reinvest in. I was going to say, yeah, it is a it is a lost art, and it is it's such an important art in this. You know, again, back to this uh, being under constant surveillance because it kind of needs a bit of you know modernity to the art form of how you are not only creating you know, fake vehicles, fake platforms, fake capabilities, but how you're giving them emissions as well. Because, I mean, you, you can deceive enemy surveillance across domains, right? And and it, it takes away from that, um, that constant surveillance if they're not sure what they're striking is truly a command post because it's given off the signatures of a command post, but maybe it's just some antennas that's pulling off some emissions. And then that gives us an opportunity to do counterfeit. And it, it it plays in, you know, it's it's such an important thing that gets into the enemy's decisions. Now, if they see 20 command posts, you know, in a brigade fight, they don't know what to target. And they start to second guess their uh, their decisions and slows them down. And, um, and, you know, it really gives us an advantage. And just to interject there, like when we talk about command post survivability, I mean, there's going to be certain systems that are only going to be at a brigade headquarters or a battalion headquarters. So at most, uh, if you're going to maintain your, your communication systems, at best you can look one level 
you know, one echelon down. So a brigade might look like a battalion headquarters. But we really need to get back to dispersion, to camouflage, and just make it as hard as uh, we possibly can for our adversaries. Because, again, as you said, every time our enemy fires, our radars can detect that, and we can do counterfire on their artillery. We may not be able to hide, but we just got to look less important and really increase the uh, that risk calculation that our adversary does. And is this target truly something I want to shoot at? That's a great point because it's just like there's not a 100% solution to some of these problems, but it's, it's a game of percents. And the more you can do of dispersion, with decoys, with understanding your signatures, the more you can increase your survivability and make it harder for the the enemy to to take action against you and read inside their own decision-making. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, sir, so if you're about to come to the National Training Center in about a month and you're desperately listening to thinking inside the bots as you're preparing to deploy, what would you focus on? Yeah, so first of all, I think the biggest thing that uh, is often missed at home station training and that units don't see until they get here is operating in a congested electromagnetic spectrum in that D3 SOE, that denied, degrade, disrupted space operating environment. You're going to be jammed. You're not going to have assured GPS for your rotation. You need to uh, understand what you're going to do, have backup processes, be prepared to go analog if necessary, and encrypt your daggers, please. Daggers are your or like a GPS, they're specifically hardened uh, to resist jamming. Uh, but if you don't encrypt them, then they'll be just a, a giant expensive Garmin that will not have the same level of protections as your dagger that is properly filled. And encrypting your dagger does not make it a sensitive item. It's, it's in the TM. It's a misnomer across the force, but please encrypt your daggers well before you even get here or bring the cables to do it here when you actually get to the National Training Center. And that's, that's a great, easy lesson for units to encrypt their daggers. Yeah, any resources you would recommend... Um, a reading before coming to uh, the National Training Center? Um, really, if you're going to go online, look up Colonel Antal's uh, Transparent Battlefields uh, video. They are exceptionally good, and they show a glimpse of where uh, modern warfare is moving to. Yeah, thank you, sir. And we'll, we'll link Colonel Antal's uh, pieces in our uh, show notes. And, sir, thank you for joining Thinking Inside the Bots. Hey, thanks, Robert. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Inside the Bots, the podcast of Operations Group at the National Training Center.